electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, guys, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the final countdown to a great year for your money. The S&P now heading for its best return since 2019. The big question now, what is in store for the new year? Can stocks sustain this record-setting momentum? And if so, for how long? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee today. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, and Josh Brown. Good to see everybody. Happy New Year. Look forward to this last program of 2021. Let's begin by checking stocks. Take a look. We're in the red for the major averages right now. Dow's down 78. S&P hasn't fallen on the final day of the year since 2017. That's a little bit of work to do right now. We always keep our eye on interest rates for you. 150 is the yield on the 10-year note. And we're going to spend a healthy time today, guys, thinking about what the new year could bring for stocks. But what I want to do first, because I just learned of this a few moments before we were uh, planning to start the show, uh, Josh Brown has a new buy that I find real interesting. And Josh, I want you to tell us about it. It's not in addition to a position that you have. It's a fresh new buy, and it is Roblox. Tell us. You guys haven't made new graphics for this when, when, I, uh, when I have a fresh new buy. We got to work on that. Patty, work on that. Listen, uh, I think this could be one of the biggest winners of 2022. I bought about a third of the position that I would normally buy in a new stock, which viewers of the show over the last 11 years have heard me do this before. Uh, I'm hoping there's some general market volatility that gives me an opportunity to own more at a lower price. But technically, this stock is setting up really well. So just in case, I wanted to make sure I got in around $100, $101 a share in, in that range. Um, basically, I think this is the next big platform globally. 50 million daily users, about 200 monthly uh, active users. I think about 9 million of those 50 million daily users are actually creating games on the Roblox platform. And this is an idea that originally came to me last year, shortly after it came public, and I just never had a chance to buy it. I want to thank my young friends Tyler and Blake for putting me on to Roblox. But people talk about the Metaverse Judge and they think it's Facebook. This company has half of every U.S., all U.S. children under 16, half are currently playing and active on Roblox. This is the metaverse already. It's not in the future. It's, it's current. So tonight is New Year's Eve. Paris Hilton is DJing in Roblox. You have to log in and be in the game to watch. You can tour her mansion virtually. You can pay Robux to ride on her jet ski, etc. Like, this is where everything is happening for the age. Not that Paris Hilton is huge with children, 
But the point is, this is where everything is actually happening in the metaverse. It has its own virtual currency already. It manages to convert about 40 cents on every dollar it takes in in revenue into free cash flow. It's an incredible business. And I still don't think the train has left the station in terms of valuation. So I want to be long this name throughout the year. I'll be looking for lower prices to add to my position. And I'm super bullish on the engagement, the amount of users, the growth. Everything seems to be pointing in the right direction here. Shares getting a nice bump, uh, just about 3% off the news. The downtown Josh Brown has initiated a new position in Roblox. So Josh, guys, lays out his compelling fundamental case for buying the stock. But it does make me think of another part of this conversation. And it's the fact that, Shannon, the stock's down 28% from its 52-week high, right? You look at a number of stocks that have fallen dramatically from their highs. And just like Josh says, you know what? I can make a good fundamental case for Roblox. And part of the story certainly is the fact that shares have declined uh, the way they have to give him an opportunity to get in at a, what he deems a reasonable level. Makes me think that there must be other stocks out there in this kind of world uh, that have pulled back too much, where you guys have had to have your eye on some of these things and said, you know what? If it gets down to a specific level, even if the, the, you know, the, the growth is, can't be repeated to the level that it's had so far, or even if the price to sales is through the roof, or even if a company isn't profitable, I'm still willing to take a big bet on, on the future. How, how do you deal with that, Shan? Well, I think Josh made an excellent point in the fact of explaining how he's going about this and that he isn't going in with his full position, because I think all of us acknowledge the fact that over the next couple of months, Many of these high multiple names that have, to your point, Scott, declined significantly are likely to be under additional pressure. And so being able to take a position early on, I think the most important thing is to differentiate, just as Josh did with his fundamental thesis, why you believe that this company can come out of the other side post-pandemic and be able to continue to grow its users, grow its footprint, be able to make you know, timely acquisitions. And so if I look across some of these high-flying stocks, something like a Teladoc, which is you know, not in my portfolio, but an example of what you're talking about here, we are likely to continue to see the growth of healthcare. This is a great way to be able to reach um, you know, patients that are maybe in a rural area or who do not have, you know, a large hospital down the street for them. And so I think that that's an example of a story that could continue. However, I know that that stock is going to continue to be pressured over the next couple of months. So if you are looking at that basket, those high flying, high multiple, long duration growth stocks, Think about whether the thesis can, can, can be sustained if there's reasonable competition that would potentially detract from that thesis and do what Josh did, which is take a small position and take those opportunities over the next couple of months to add to it. You know, Weiss, I'm not going to go as far as to say, OK, you know, Roblox is a, a stay at home stock. It's a phenomenon stock for all of the, the good reasons that Josh laid out. But Shannon makes good points, too. You look at a stock like Teladoc, and by the way, if you wanted to focus on so-called stay-at-home stocks, which have had a really rough year, and ones that are significantly off their all-time highs, Peloton's down 75%, Zoom's down 44 DocuSign 30 Chegg 65 Shannon's Teladoc that she just mentioned, 52 There are other stocks that are down this far, too. At some, time, is, at some point, isn't enough enough? It is with some of them, and 
Scott, before the urge leaves me, I want to wish you a happy new year and the best for 2022, as well as to uh, my colleagues on the show. But look, some will come out the other end, and I think Josh has an excellent pick there with Roblox. I prefer to play through Epic, which is on the private side, which is generating a billion dollars a year in free cash flow. But they're both the metaverse, but more importantly, it's the engagements, the eyeballs, and it's the social networking on those stocks as well. In terms of some that will, will, will rise, well, I think that you've got to take a look at it this way, is that last year and 2020, or last year, I'm referring to 2021, since we're just about done with it in a few hours, we had a lot of forces at work that we're not going to have this coming year in 2022. And those are a very, very uh, accommodative Fed. They're going the other way, even though rates will still be low. Take that for granted. Uh, we also won't have the same momentum, in my view, of these companies that you have investors and a lot of retail investors say, I don't want to miss out. The fear of missing out on them, driving momentum and driving multiple expansion of these companies. So you can't bet on that any longer. And we've seen that start to come apart over the last number of months. But there are companies. I don't think Peloton's one of them. I don't think. No offense, Shannon. I don't think Teldoc's one of them because I don't see a real convincing moat around their business. But I do see others that have sold off dramatically. I've talked about those I've added to. Also, I see it in biotech broadly. So biotech's not been down in terms of the ETFs two years in a row for as long as I can remember. I think perhaps since you launched the ETFs. So that's why I bought the XBI and the IBB. More of the IBB because I've got an exposure to Moderna, which is one of the largest holdings in the XBI. The IBB is smaller. I don't have to worry about single company risk in those. And I do think it's going to be a great place to go because they've been under such pressure this year. So, yes, you can find opportunities. I'd be careful, though. The pops that we're seeing now, some of it is short covering because funds want to book their gains for the year and not worrying about some come in and bottom pick. So I'd wait to buy them because I do think you'll get another opportunity. But let's be clear, your DCF models that these companies are valued on, discounted cash flow, the inputs are going higher, which means that they're going to be worth less. Yeah. You do, Farmer Jim, have to have a bit of a vision when you're buying these names, whether it's our own Josh Brown, it's a Kathy Wood who has her own specific vision and time frame of, of when she's willing to uh, why she's willing to buy a stock and how far she's uh, looking out down the road. I, I just bring it up. Roblox has reported a loss every quarter as a public company. It's not expected to report positive earnings until Q4 of 2022. And you could substitute the name of a, a number of different stocks for, for Roblox if, if you wanted to. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to end up being good buys. It just depends on what your time frame is. And that's probably what Kathy Wood would suggest if she was with us. And Scott, that's absolutely right. Time frame matters. I commend Josh on a very rational, fundamental thesis that he has. Um, you know, you have to also pick your entry points. And when you say vision, when you're entering a stock, you have to have a vision that this is the right time. Now, right now, you know this, Scott, I'm not in a buying mood at all. I'm not buying anything. But if I did want to add to a Twilio or a PayPal, which are similar in terms of being a high growth company like Roblox, 
I would have to believe that interest rates are not going to march higher in the near term and give me a better entry point. I may be wrong in saying this, but I think interest rates are going to slowly march higher. And I think in the first quarter, I'll get a better entry point to add uh, to my existing small positions in Twilio and PayPal. I'm not saying that Josh is wrong at all because he's got a fundamental thesis that's likely to play out over at least a year, if not more. But my liking right now is far more to lighten up in the market overall. I'm not buying anything until I see how the first quarter starts out. Do interest rates move higher, in which case these hypergrowth companies are absolutely going to be attractively priced? Or, or does Omicron or COVID or something give a growth scare that knocks down the cyclicals and gives me an opportunity to add there? I don't know what that scenario is right now. Right now, I am much more of a seller than a buyer. Okay, so let's talk about this outlook for 2022. You know, Jim's clearly become a little more cautious in the last few weeks, right? Mr. All-In, the moniker that that I gave him a while back's gone, and he explained the the rational reasons for that. In terms of other commentary we've gotten today, Jim Cramer, our own Jim Cramer, of course, why I like the market setup for 22. First and foremost, he says, I like the setup because so many don't. I like it because the opportunities to buy winners and surf the broader ETFs are too great. And because so many companies will prove to have stocks that are too low, especially the banks, retailers and oil companies. So, Shan, Kramer likes the setup. Jim's a little more cautious. Our Jim, Farmer Jim. What about you? I, I would have to say that I'm a, a little bit more on Farmer Jim's side in, <laughs> in this in this argument. Uh, I'm, I'm rather concerned about the first quarter. I do think that there is going to be, just from a, a, a rotation perspective, I, I believe that from an index level perspective, we are going to see a rotation away from some of the growth names into some of the more cyclical names. And just from a construction perspective, that is going to be challenging. I think that in order to take advantage of that, you need to be looking maybe outside of the United States in areas where there is more cyclical exposure in the indexes. I think that you need to take these inflection points and to, you know, to the point about Josh's trade earlier, be ready and willing to be able to step in during these inflection points. And I think that we would be a bit naive to expect the same um, return this year or next year that we were that we received this year. But I do think that equities in the end are going to produce a positive return in 2022. And so, again, I think we're going to see the, several inflection points next year where you need to be thoughtful about your sector positioning, where you need to be thoughtful about your geographic positioning, and you need to be able to take advantage of those inflection points in order to earn a return that's better than what maybe the market consensus is right now, which is pretty low for next year. We just haven't had the kind of wild card that we do heading into 2022. It's, it's not just COVID, obviously. It is the, the biggest is the Fed in terms of a financial market perspective, more than likely. Uh, and this change of policy and how many times they raise interest How is that rates, a wild card? How much rates? What's that? How is that a wild card, though? They're, they're literally publishing dot plots. They're telling you exactly what well, they sure, plan it can to change. do. It's not a, to me, yeah, but, it's not but a wild it can change. But it's all it's all it, it's also a matter, though, of, of how much rates rise ahead of that. Right. I mean, if rates rates are still at 150. So do rates. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Here's the here's, around where they here, are now. No, here, no, here's what I think. Go ahead. Here's here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think Peter Bookvard does a really good job at explaining this particular risk. I think he'll be wrong. It won't happen. 
but the real risk, and he's calling it stagflation, which is which is um, which is an incorrect term. But the real risk is that uh, the Fed gets stymied at raising rates because something in the markets breaks as a result of their doing so. But then, unfortunately, prices in the real economy don't react and stay high. That is the number one risk that that the United States economy is facing right now. I don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, I hope it's not going to happen, but it could happen. It's not a zero uh, in terms of possibility. But the the base case should not be that the – wait, wait, wait. The base case – should not be that the Fed is a wild Please, card. You, this is the most communicative let me Fed know, of Let me know time. when it's okay for me to take the, the ball back. I'm done. Let, let me know I'm when done, it's I'm okay done. for me to take I'm the done. ball back. Is there places I want to go? Okay? All right? Because, oh, yeah. I mean, you're, oh, yeah. you're entitled to your opinion. Uh, I, I, thank, thank you. I, I, do, I respect your opinion, obviously, but it's not the only risk. And it's not the only wild card. The, there is a wild card that the Fed has to be even more aggressive than the market expects. Because inflation remains too hot or it gets even hotter than it is now. Let's listen to Jeremy Siegel. That's what I wanted to do is listen to Jeremy Siegel and we can react to the other side to both what Josh is saying and then what the professor lays out. I think the Fed and the fiscal authorities so way overdid it, particularly the Fed uh, on liquidity. They are so far behind the curve that we we have a lot of inflation that is embedded in. uh, And the Fed is going to have to hike many more times than what the market expects. Uh, I would not be surprised to see the short rate uh, at 2% or or even higher by the end of next year. That says wild card to me, Josh. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't have a Fed funds rate at 2%. You know why? Because the 10-year is not going there. And the Fed's not going to invert the yield curve for no reason. It's not going to happen. The Fed is... The Fed is not going to deliberately invert the yield curve, and there is a ceiling on where we're seeing the 10-year, and that ceiling is the reality of all of the money the Fed and other central banks have spent the last 10 years creating. There is just too much demand for risk-free assets. Every time that 10-year gets anywhere near 2%, there is oceans, trillions of dollars pouring in to buy those bonds. It's a problem. I'm not saying it's a good thing, all this debt and all this demand for debt. But that demand is not going to disappear. I don't care what you tell me inflation rates are. So the way I see it, a lot of the corona era um, supply side inflation shocks are already subsiding. We're going to make tons of semiconductors this year, tons of trucks rolling off the, the lines. I wouldn't worry about that. I think the wage pressures are sticky. I I wouldn't worry so much about that because 70 percent of the economy is consumer driven. So we kind of want people to feel like they have more money. I feel like that on balance, it works out favorable. uh, But that is a challenge. And then this idea that the Fed thinks it's going to be helping any economy by jacking rates up, Fed funds rates by 200 basis points this year. No chance. They can't, first of all, they wouldn't do it. And second of all, even if they wanted to, which we don't think Powell does, they can't. How can you do it? The it, governor is, what are, ten, what are 10-year rates? And they're not going to 4%. I wish they would. Fine. I so, would stop investing in stocks Harper, if I could Jim, get 4%. The, the fact of the matter is, yeah. regardless of you know, Josh's opinion or, or Jeremy Siegel's opinion, the Fed has been your friend. And there has never been a doubt about that for the entire year 
Um, the question is now, is the Fed going to become your enemy as a stock investor? And if it's, it does, it, by, thank you. by how much? Is it, going to tell you, is it going to tell you to talk to the hand or is it going to punch you in the face? Yeah, so thank you for this question. And, and before we get to Fed funds rate hikes, we've got to worry, or not even worry, uh, about what happens with the taper. I see this as a huge opportunity, and this is why I'm raising cash, okay? Because if you look at the last 15 months, you haven't had the S&P go down by more than 6%. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? There's a very simple reason. The Fed buys bonds, it puts cash into the financial system, and that cash finds a home in the stock market buying every dip as quick quickly as it forms. That's going to stop in the first quarter. I love that. That's the opportunity. Some pebble will drop in a pond somewhere and cause ripples that the Fed is no longer there to dampen out. And when that happens and we get some correction, which, listen, everybody, I know the folly of, of timing a correction. I got it. But you know what? I'm taking a stance here. There's going to be increased volatility because of the accelerated taper. I'm raising cash now to take advantage of that. I don't think the Fed is going to kill the economic expansion. I will say one thing, though. Two generations of Labenthal's have literally taught me not to predict interest rates. I'm incautious and foolish again. I'll do it. I'll say I think interest rates are going higher, not the 4%, but I think the 10-year will get above 2% just because of economic activity. And again, the removal of the Fed's bond buying, which to me, punchline, it's an opportunity, folks, but you've got to have dry powder. Weiss, look into 2022, and what do you see? Well, I'm going to disagree with Jeremy Siegel, and I'm going to disagree with Josh to an extent. What I see is I see increased volatility. I do see rates going up towards 2%, may even go to 2%. And the Fed doesn't have to invert the yield curve to get there, by the way. And there are wild cards out there. Um, and what Jeremy Siegel is saying is in, the, is in the rearview mirror. At the time, the Fed did the right thing. They did the right job. And rates are moving higher. That's just the bottom line. And they're going to continue. Now, here's the issue. And here are the wild cards. We're going to get the Olympics. Uh, and then at the Olympics, some of the smart money is betting that China then makes their move in Taiwan. Now, I'm not saying they go to war with it, but they're going to rattle their sabers. And by the way, there's always a nuclear option that China has, which is that they're the largest external holder of our notes, of our paper. And maybe they decide, if relationships continue to deteriorate, that we'll just tickle a little. We'll just sell some. What would that do? That would raise rates significantly. And by the way, it's not where rates end up. It's where they go. It's the direction and the velocity of the direction. And that may be out of the Fed's hands. So I see the supply chain not getting any better right now. As a matter of fact, I'd be curious as to where Josh is hearing that because in my talking to the freight companies that have positions in, there's been minor improvement in the freight train, freight uh, in, in the supply chain, very minor. What you're seeing is chips coming in that have been ordered months and months ago. So, of course, they move to the top of the line and come in. So that's the big issue. And that's why the Fed's in the toughest position they could possibly be in, because even raising rates is not for the near term going to tamp down inflation. So what I plan to do is similar to what Shannon says and similar to what Jim says, is that right now I'm pretty much fully invested. I have no interest in paying ta more taxes. I'm already paying enough for 2021. I will start pairing back positions in 2022, early in the first quarter. I haven't decided which ones yet, but I've got some very, very large positions and some core names. And I will leave myself with cash, maybe it's 30 percent, to play the volatility 
to take advantage of the dip, similar to what I did over the last month. So it's not about the indices. The indices haven't told you the truth about what's happening in the underlying stocks for a long, long time. Because as Josh has often pointed out, you've got them heavily weighted towards Apple and Microsoft and other big names, whereas the carnage well, underneath speaking has of, been mind-blowing. Yeah, speaking of no, taking profits and where Jim's going to start taking his, his from, thank you, uh, is Microsoft and Apple early in the new year as well, which you don't often hear on this program. And frankly, you don't often hear anywhere uh, taking profits in a Microsoft or an Apple, right? It's, these are kind of like, you know, you, you buy them, you set it, forget it, right? Own it, don't trade it is the famous Jim Cramer deal on that. Jim Labenthal, however, has a different view, even though this is more his trading position in Apple rather than his longer term yeah. investing position, right, Jim? I, I, by the way, I'd love to have a drink with Jimmy sometime soon and you and, and really pull apart whether he thinks these are still not tradable because, boy, they seem so to me. I mean, Apple, you could pick up that trading position in February, March of this year at 120, 125. Now it's it's 50% higher, almost 50% higher. Uh, I'm going to take that trading position off next week. And Microsoft, obviously, these are fabulous companies. We're not going to debate that. But if you look at the forward multiple, Microsoft is 10 turns more on a price-to-earnings basis than Apple or Google. And I tell you, there's just no reason for that. So on a relative value basis, I just say that's where I've got to take money from. The last thing I'll say on this is the one thing I'm not going to disrupt is my cyclical trade. Now, if we get a 10% correction, of course, energy, financials, industrials go down. Of course they do. But that thesis that the next year is going to favor those stocks is so strong in my mind and my heart that I'm not going to mess with it over some short-term, hey, let's raise 10% cash to buy a dip. You know what? Um, Microsoft and Apple you know are what he's going to do? You know what Kramer's going to do after he buys you a Lagavulin or whatever your favorite scotch is when you guys are bellied up at the bar? He's going to say, okay, Jim, you want to take profits? That's totally fine. But then you tell me when you're going to buy it back. And that's the thesis and the crux of his belief is that and maybe how I can don't. you possibly know maybe if you're going to take the profits? When are you going to buy it back? Maybe I don't. I still have the core position in both stocks. By the way, I will end up being underweight uh, to the market. That's what my risk is, all right? My risk is that those two names, each 6% of the S&P 500, and if I'm hanging around 4.5%, is that something I'm comfortable doing? Yes, it is. Yes, it is, because I just don't see the multiples expanding any further. Not saying they're going to contract. I think the only share price you're going to return, you're going to get is from earnings per share growth of 10-ish percent. I can do better in the cyclicals. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, the Halftime Report Stock Summit continues. We give the floor to Josh Brown. Not that he wouldn't take it himself anyway. We're going to review his top second half picks, hits and misses. We'll do it right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, 
drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. We are getting a first look in the daylight of the wildfire damage overnight near Denver. A local sheriff says that at least 500 homes were likely destroyed, but no injuries have been reported so far. Colorado Governor Jared Polis says that he has spoken to President Biden about the wildfires and that the president is expediting federal disaster aid. And on the news tonight, team coverage of the wildfire damage, cleanup, and the steps to rebuilding. That is tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Meantime, Italy has set a record for new COVID cases in a day, the government confirming over 144,000 new infections. That is more than in the entire week of December 12th. In Greece, officials are reporting a new case record for the fourth straight day. And a new study out of Britain suggests that the risk of hospitalization from the Omicron variant is about one-third that of Delta. Researchers also found people who have received three COVID vaccine shots had an 81% lower risk of hospitalization due to infection with Omicron. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. And appreciate that very much, Rahel. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. It is the final day of reviewing the Investment Committee's top second half picks from our June stock summit. It leads us to downtown Josh Brown. All right, Josh, let's go through some of these. Again, just to refresh everybody's memory, mm. it was three picks in terms of stocks and one sector. Um, Live Nation was your top pick, up 31% since June 22nd. Teradata is down 7%. Upstart Holdings is up 29%. I think of the three you only ever owned, Live Nation. But what do you think now? And then we'll get into yeah. your sector pick at the time. Can we, all right, can, can we just like, can we just state though, this is really important. You pick a stock in June, you don't necessarily like it the entire six months after, especially for something like this. Upstart tripled right after I, I gave it to you guys. So not that it's because I'm a genius, but I want a little bit of credit for this. The stock went up 211% between June 22nd, the day we, we talked about this, and October 15th. And then they missed earnings and the high multiple stocks got killed. That's why it's only up 30%. But like this snapshot could have ended at any time. So I just want to point that out. Um, I actually think discretionary as my sector pick uh, was a disappointment. But I never would have seen energy coming. Like, I was shocked by how well those stocks did uh, and real estate following up. I would actually say discretionary next year will have a good year uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think that's, I think that's something that, that should endure from this year to next year. I just think overall the consumer is in a really great place. Uh, Teradata initially worked, and then it just turned out to be a dog. I bought it because it was a, quote, cheap stock. And a lot of times stocks are cheap for a reason. So that was the lesson there. And then Live Nation, I'm still long, and I'm, I'm going to ride into 22. 
Let me ask you about discretionary. Um, I know you say it's a disappointment. It's the third best sector out of the S&P since you picked it. It's also beating the S&P since. It's up 14.5%. It's not like it was this, you know, tremendous disappointment. I'm curious as to to why you characterize it as a disappointment. No, it did did great. Like Home Depot, Lowe's, these were huge winners this year. Um, Unfortunately, I think two stocks were emblematic of why it didn't work. Uh, Disney being one, obviously the resurgence of the virus knocked that stock down in, in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. And then Amazon. Worst in the uh, worst which, performer. Which worst performer out of the Dow this year the fangs. was Disney. Yeah, and then Amazon, worst of the fangs, uh, really didn't do anything at all. Uh, I'm long the stock in real life, not just in this whatever we're doing. And uh, it was a disappointment to me, and I think that that stock is very important for the discretionary uh, sector spider or, or whatever. So um, that's why I think discretionary didn't do better, uh, really, those, those two reasons. I should also uh, thank you for all, for all that, Josh. I should remind you that we're going to kick off our 2022 stock summit this coming Monday on the Halftime Report. The Investment Committee is going to unveil their new stock ideas, fresh ideas for 2022, a few stocks per person, a sector that each person likes as well for the coming year. Hey, check out this mystery chart. It's one of three. It's one of the top three performing sectors this year, up more than 30 percent. We're going to debate if that group of stocks continues to outperform in 22 and if you should be adding them to your portfolio. And we'll do that on the half right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, guys, welcome back. Let's do our call of the day now. Centers around financials, which are on pace for their best year since 2013, returning more than 30 percent this year. Today, Citi updates their earnings estimates on two banks. So let's let's talk about that. And by the way, out of the CNBC stock survey that we did earlier this week, financials were said to be the biggest winners or predicted to be the biggest winning group uh, this year. Sixty six percent of those asked chose the financials. So, Steve Weiss, let's go with you. okay? So City, they trim earnings estimates for Goldman, all right? You own Goldman. 
Uh, you also own Bank of America. You own the XLF. You can tell me how you view the space and what you think about this call in general, if you'd like. Yeah, well, I think Josh is right. The yield curve is not going to be inverted. Um, because if it is, obviously, that'll pressure their margins because they won't make money off the spread. So I believe, and in order to own these stocks, I think you have to believe it at this point, after they move they, the move they had in 2021. And keep in mind, a lot of that was catch-up. But you have to believe that they'll continue to be able to capture the spread. As a matter of fact, the spread will increase and loan growth will accelerate. That's why you have to own these. Now, in terms of why I have somewhat trepidation, even though I'm not paring back on any of them, and they're large positions, uh, is that we had record launch, a record IPO calendar in 2021 after a record in 2020. A lot of that, or a good part of it, came from SPACs. I don't expect to see the SPAC issuance repeat itself going forward. However, we will see an increase in volatility, which will drive much more trading volume. Now, the margins in trading are nowhere near what they are in banking, so it won't be a complete offset, but I don't see the bank calendar going away. I do see M&A increasing dramatically after a pretty good year in 2021 and in 2020. So that's why I own the banks. Now, what's interesting about the forecast of people predicting it being one of the top groups is that as you go through analyst estimates, you'll see that the majority of analysts, and it may have changed over the last few weeks, I haven't looked, are looking for down earnings in 2022 versus 2021. I think they'll be wrong that earnings will continue to rise and the stocks are very reasonably priced, particularly in relation to the rest of the market. Mm, interesting. Um, Jim Labenthal, you own Citi, you own Goldman. What's your outlook for the banks in 22? Yeah, it's very similar to what Steve just said. I think there are a heck of a lot of positives out there. I don't want to go through every one of them. There's two that I would highlight. I want to just elaborate on loan growth demand. There's a lot of capital expenditure that is about to come. It's from infrastructure spending that's already been passed. It's from supply chain onshoring. And that infrastructure spending requires uh, loans. You know, it requires contractors to buy new excavators, material to be bought, for which loans are in demand, and that's the lifeblood of the banks. By the way, continued improved labor markets means that there's going to be more credit card usage, more home demand, more mortgage demand. That's all positive for the banks. I just wanted to elaborate on that point. The second point I'm just going to echo, Steve, is that volatility across all asset classes, stocks, bonds, commodities, should pick up, and that helps the trading desks at these big banks like Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. Shan, J.P. Morgan, Schwab, BlackRock, ICE. You got a little bit of a retail uh, investor tilt uh, along with a, a big bank and J.P. Morgan. Yeah, long term holdings, uh, all of these for me, Scott. And I think Joe Terranova made a great point on Monday and Jim just echoed this as well. You know, the exchanges can really benefit um, as we come into the new year with the trading that we're anticipating with some of these inflection points. Um, and thinking about BlackRock and Schwab, just thinking about, you know, the expansion into the retail investor. And I'm not talking about Robinhood or Betterment. I'm talking about all of us who are pre-retirement or now post-retirement who have brokerage accounts. Schwab has benefited from that. They're also going to benefit from the spread, right? So I think there are a couple ways to play this. You don't necessarily have to be overweight in the banks to benefit from this expansion of financial services and the sentiment improvement in the, in the sector. Josh Brown, I mean, you've been playing it primarily as, as long as I can remember through J.P. Morgan. 
Yeah, look, if the, if the yield curve steepens and we get a rising 10-year, which would be great, and a slightly rising Fed funds rate, which seems like it's consensus, the bank should do well. Uh, I don't think that J.P. Morgan necessarily would be the biggest beneficiary. I think a lot of people talk about uh, the Schwabs of the world for something like that. But I do think J.P. Morgan makes a lot of money in that scenario. Uh, but they're also making tons of money right now. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think you need necessarily uh, an amazing yield curve story this year for JPM and some of the other bank names to work. So, yes, I've been in the stock a long time. I got you. I continue to stick with it, and uh, it's been working out. All right, we got a New Year's Eve treat for you today on the Halftime Report. Pete Najarian joins us next with his unusual activity, his last of 2021. We're back on the half right after this. It is our special unusual activity. Pete Najarian joining us now. Pete, happy, healthy New Year. Can't wait to have you on the program again in 2022. But what are we going to end this year with today? Yeah, thanks, Scott. That was very nice of you. I'm going to start with uh, Norwegian Cruise Line. Now, the reason this is so interesting is we all know what's going on right now with the cruise ships, and there's a lot of issues that they're having to deal with. And yet, we're seeing some bullish activity there. But they're buying a little bit of time, trying to wade through what's been going on of late. So we got the March 22 and a half calls getting a very aggressively purchased today, about 7,000, a little more than 7,000 of those being bought for about $1.55, Scott. It's a very interesting bullish play because they're actually buying those calls, selling some upside to take in a little premium, also selling the puts to the downside, taking a little bit of premium with the risk that if the stock drops significantly, this stock actually would get put and then they'd be owning the stock as well. So this one's pretty interesting, very bullish, and it's interesting to see given the backdrop of what we're looking at here. Plug Power is another one. If you go back to February, Plug was trading all the way up to 75 bucks, believe it or not. Well, it's nowhere near that level anymore. It's pulled back significantly, but while it's been sitting somewhere between on the low of 20 and the high of 75, we got a buyer all the way out to September. They're buying the September 30 calls. Highly unusual because we haven't seen people going out in time nearly this much over the last couple of weeks, especially, or even the last couple of months. So they're going all the way out to September, the September 30s, paying almost $6 for these calls, looking for this stock to make just a little bit of progress off of those 28, little over 28 levels. I got one last one for you, Roblox. We've talked about this name on a couple of different occasions of late. Stock was trading about 103, a little over 103.90. We got a buyer today of a 6,200 of the January 7th. So Almost immediately, we're going to see these. We got one week for these to perform. The 6,200 of the 105 calls getting bought today as well. So some really interesting trades going out in time on most of them. But this last one, Roblox, they're looking for the stock to make another move a little bit higher through 105 pretty quickly. Yeah. Stay with me, Pete, because they includes Josh Brown, who told us at the very top of the show today that Roblox was a fresh new buy for him. Josh, I'd love to bring you in to the conversation. So you got some options buyers uh, at your back. Yeah, but like weekly calls, that's a little short term for 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 what I was talking about. <laughs> I mean, if if it if it if it if it happens, great. I probably won't even see. I probably won't even see it. A hundred dollars is an important level in the stock. If you go back to June fourth of twenty one, that was resistance. That's where it failed, and then it spent the next let's call it uh, almost six months doing nothing. And then when it broke back above a hundred which happened Thanksgiving week, 
it exploded up to, it looks like uh, one, the mid-130s. Now it's pulled back, but 100 was uh, support. So resistance became support. So if the buyers keep coming in at 100, I won't have a chance to own more lower. That's okay. Um, but this level does seem to have some meaning to other people who are involved in the stock in size. So uh, worth watching. Yep, and we will. Pete, like I said, to you and your family, Happy New Year. Have a healthy one. Good one. We'll see you on the other side, okay? All right. Enjoy the football games, man. Have a great day. All right. Yeah, you as well. All right. We're going to answer some of your questions next. Uh, You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. It's our New Year's Eve edition of Ask Half. We'll do it next. All right, Ask Halftime is right now. We answer your questions. First question goes to Jim Labenthal from Keith in Indiana. Farmer Jim, where are you on Cleveland Cliffs? Stock's been sideways now for several months. I believe you stated this would be above 30 by the first of the year. So what now, Jimmy? Yeah, let me be clear. This is my favorite stock for 2022. Uh, The stock is down over the last two months. It set an all-time high, or not an all-time high, but a multi-year high in October. Um, What's knocked it down is basically that steel prices have come down a little bit. That is absolutely a head fake. Okay, steel prices are still very high. Iron ore prices, which is a cost of goods sold, is very low. So their gross margins at Cleveland Cliffs are high. Their volumes are high. And it's going to continue because auto production is picking up. People are buying washing machines, refrigerators as they buy new houses. And infrastructure spending is coming. Those are all markets into which Cleveland Cliffs sells. (coughs) So next year, $2.5 billion in free cash flow. You measure that against the $10 billion market cap. And that's a a 25% free cash flow yield. you got to buy that all day long. Stick with it. Uh, $30 takes a few more months. Let's put it June 30th. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Josh Brown to you from Steve in Philadelphia. Josh, should I be concerned about CrowdStrike's failure to bounce back from its recent major decline? What do you think? So this stock hit a record high back on November 10th. It had an incredible year. And then in the last six weeks, It really got caught up in this rotation out of high multiple growth stocks and into value cyclicals. So it's been a tough six-week period for CrowdStrike, although it's been an amazing run since the company came public. And I'm not worried about it at all, staying long. I still believe cybersecurity is one of the number one threats facing, quite frankly, humanity uh, in the coming decade, and that CrowdStrike has the best mousetrap. Okay, Steve Weiss to you from Steve in Boise. What is going on with Dick's Sporting Goods? I followed you in, and I'm getting crushed. Now what? Well, you followed me in late. Look, I've added to it. It's one of those rare stocks that has gotten crushed, despite the fact that earnings increased. So we saw multiple contraction. It's reversing now. I think you'll do quite well in the stock. I'm staying with it. It's a core position. Shan, last city to you from John in New York. I bought Danaher early in the COVID crisis. I have a nice gain. Help me with my worst skill set as an investor. When to sell, your opinion, buy, sell, or hold? I, I like the life sciences and diagnostic exposure here. This is a serial acquirer, and they're starting to divest some of their businesses. That being said, you could trim it on some of the better performance and put those proceeds into something like Striker that's underperformed. All right, good stuff. Thanks for all your questions this year, too. Uh, we look so forward to getting them, and we're... Obviously going to continue this segment into 2022. We look forward to all of that. Final trades after this break.
All right, tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, do not miss a CNBC special with Sarah Eisen. Your money, 2022. Don't want to miss that tonight. Again, 6 o'clock Eastern right here on CNBC. Let's do final trades now. Shannon, why don't you kick us off? Adobe, digital content is going to be king. Look for a pullback in the first quarter to add to this, to this position. Okay. Farmer Jim. My other favorite stock, Qualcomm, should be up 20% to 230 by June 30th. All right. Steve Weiss. Semis, my favorite group. I like a lot of them individually, but you can participate by playing the SMH, the Van, Van X Semiconductor ETF. Okay. All right. Downtown, lastly to you. Sticking with Amazon. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. To all of you, all of you watching, wherever you are, we'll see you on the other side. Does it for us, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.